We're gonna need a lot of it from both of us in order to create the perfect storm, right? We're, we're gonna talk about the perfect storm. And maybe I'm, I'm gonna ruin the story just a bit. We're gonna go straight to the end of the story and then we're gonna fill in the story. You and I had a long conversation where we talked about business outcomes. We talked about who should own them. We talked about the mindset shifts, the behavior change, and all of the things that we're about to touch on. And at the end, I asked you, I said, hey, Roxanne, so, so what would it take? right, for a clismic shift, a tsunami of change to be created. And you said, perfect storm is going to be needed. And I was like, let's create one. So so we don't know. We don't know if this episode is going to do it, but we're going to certainly try. And uh, to give the audience a little context, I want to reflect on, you have an incredible background in analytics. So I don't know, how, what would be the way for you to, to give an overview of your journey from an analytics lens? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say I've had kind of multiple different career paths. The single common underlying theme, every company I've worked for, every career path I've had is a, a focus on analytics and measurement. And it wasn't until this whole concept of people analytics became its own unique thing that I really realized that was the common thread that linked every one of my roles in all of the different companies, industries I've worked in together. So I, I'm definitely, I was that math nerd growing up, right? And I always wondered how am I gonna channel my love for like nerdy math stuff into actually into actual outcomes and results? Um, and so I discovered the field of industrial or organizational psychology in undergrad and I thought well, this is the perfect storm for myself in terms of focus on human behavior, but also a really important aspect of measurement of that behavior um, and psychometrics, which is kind of our official term for analytics in the, in the IO psychology space. So for me, it was really around how do I find kind of that topic or area where I can use all of the skills, the things that I, I really like to do. It's, it's the perfect combination. What do I like to do? What am I good at? And what exists, right? And I was able to find that in this field of IO psychology, but I was also able to use the skills that I learned in grad school to transfer them to other topics. So I did a, um, basically I was a, a research scientist at United Health Group, looking at treatment paths, right? Looking at uh, the nurse line. So the 24 hour nurse line that you call, I was doing the research behind the scenes to say, is this adding an ROI to our customers? Right, I've done research in stores, looking at store employees and retail um, environments saying, how do we engage our employees and how can we prove the value from a business hard dollar outcome of doing that kind of stuff? I've done similar type of works in manufacturing companies. How do we engage employees who are working 10 to 12 hour shifts a day, um, literally chopping up animal parts for human consumption, right? So like a very different type of mindset. So it has all kind of come around full filter to me being in my, my role now, which is focused more primarily on people analytics. And that's something I've focused on in the last kind of five to six years with a, a little in, interspersed in between. But it's really been a matter of like finding that those opportunities where I can use all of these skills together. Really, and it's what we're gonna talk about today is create that perfect storm of how do we, how do we channel human behavior? How do we measure and assess human behavior to really drive business outcomes? And I think that's the, kind of the North Star of a, a people team or an HR team, right? It's like, how are we really channeling the power of our employees to make a difference at work? It's really about driving the bottom line. Yeah, the connection between business outcomes, bottom line, 
and uh, you know unlocking the human potential. We'll talk a, quite a bit about the consumerization of the employee experience. You and I began to talk about it, reorienting everything that they experience with them in mind. You didn't mention that the, you, you received a PhD. I mean, you, you went pretty deep. I did, yeah. So, so that was actually kind of a last minute decision. Um, I was towards the end of my undergrad and I thought, well, what am I gonna do next? And my plan was actually to stay uh, at the University of Calgary where I was and get a statistics degree. So follow up with my psychology and business degree with a statistics degree. Then I mentioned before, I discovered this industrial organizational psychology class and I thought, oh my goodness, this is actually the, the mix of what I've been looking for. So I started to work with some professors, discovered this whole concept of grad school and research and PhDs and ended up somewhat fortuitously uh, ending up down here in the States, going to grad school, ended up at the University of Minnesota, which I'm proud to say is one of the strongest programs out there. Um, work with Professor Paul Sackett, who actually he and his wife have their second home here in Austin, Texas. So I hang out with them all the time, which is really great. Um, and yeah, and so dug, dug really deep, deep. And I think that it's it's one of those it's one of those fields that it's more common now. But when I was kind of growing up and going through undergrad, I didn't really know that this was even a real thing. And I think a lot of companies, especially smaller companies now, don't realize that this concept of industrial organizational psychology is a real thing. And for me, it's been a really great foundation for people analytics, right? And measurement, because you think about what is people analytics? It's looking at your talent. It's looking at the different moments in the talent life cycle, like we said before, to help businesses make better decisions. Well, who is better equipped to really um, deep dive into the talent life cycle than someone who has in-depth education and research background around employee behavior at work. So for me, it's just kind of the perfect mix in terms of helping organizations really think differently around what is our talent strategy and how do we, we form our talent strategy and how do we create a measurement plan that allows us to really impact the business in a very different way. Totally. And, and I know as the audience is listening in, on occasionally when they come across an academic, they go, uh-oh, oh, I'm going to learn about my amygdala. We're gonna. This is gonna be a neuroscience lesson, and um, you all. Before you jump off the line, I suggest you keep listening because uh, w this is a very pragmatic conversation. This is going to be a business outcome-driven conversation, and all of the knowledge that Roxanne is about to bring to create the perfect storm is going to be very practical-oriented. So you do not need a PhD to listen. I certainly do not have a PhD, and um, I find it to be super engaging. So business outcomes, right? There's so many, so, so, so many. Even when I raise this question, I get all kinds of responses. But you and I said, let's pick one and frame it. What do you think? So, you know, thinking about this, it's really great when you're in an organization where these tangible dollar-based business outcomes are really easy to measure. And I'll use a former employer of mine, Best Buy, right? The store, every store has a certain set of metrics you can measure and they're typically measured in dollar outcomes. Now, a tech company might not have that, right? When you think about a people team or an HR team, how do we measure a business outcome in that? It's a lot more challenging. So I think one that's kind of universal and is really important, any type of industry, any type of company is, is turnover or retention, right? There's been a lot of research around what is the cost of turnover? Um, what is what is the value of retaining employees, especially critical talent and top talent? So I think retention is a nice one because it's pretty universally consistent and can be measured across any organization of any size in any industry. I also love it because it's so 
painful to understand all of the implications of it. Like, and, and retention continues to come up in almost every discussion I'm having. And I say still because I wonder, is it going to change with the economy? What's happening? Microsoft just laid off, you know, 10,000 people. There's thousands of folks losing their jobs. But I'm glad and encouraged to continue to hear retention is important. In fact, after layoffs, maybe it'll be even more important because now it's the high performers that are going to scratch their heads. It's them that are going to start to think about a second job or are they going to do the gigs or are they going to look for another organization? Um, so we're, we're going to start with the first most difficult question, right? Retention. And again, our eyes on creating the perfect storm. We hope at the end of this episode, someone listened in is about to call a bunch of folks together and they're going to create change. So the first question is who, you know, who owns retention, right? We could have the easy answer, everybody, and then no one is accountable. But uh, how do you think about the question of who owns it? Yeah. So, you know, being in the HR space for most of my career, although I usually don't tell people that. I say I'm in analytics. It's a little more general. But kind of being in the HR space, I think that a lot of um, talent programs and outcomes tend to fall on the shoulders of HR people. And I actually think that's the wrong approach for a lot of these. So when I think about who owns retention, um, it's actually business leaders and any leader, right? You as a, a leader or a manager of a team, you own a number of things. You own the the culture and environment that you choose to create for your employees. You own um, employee engagement, whether or not your employees are engaged with their job. You own, to some extent, uh, the extent to which uh, employees are going to stay at their job, right? So this whole concept of, of a retention. So I think it's it's really the individual manner, manager, excuse me. And I think, you know, if you take it up a level, let's let's think a little more kind of high level around, it's it's the leaders of the businesses, right? It's the, it's the head of marketing who really fundamentally owns the, the turnover for that department. It's the head of engineering. It's the head of HR who owns turnover for the HR team, right? I think HR's job um, as a whole is to really help develop the programs and strategies around keeping people, developing people, engaging people. How do we measure those things? But it really goes to the leaders of the businesses and the leaders of teams to actually take the action. So the ownership should absolutely land on those who are directly impacting um, the people that we're talking about, which are the employees on the floor. I, I was back to back today. And right before this conversation, I spoke with one of the largest financial service investment advisory firms in the United States. And I spoke to someone who's leading up their employee experience. And I asked the same question. And uh, the person said, you know, the next conversation I'm going to have is with our COO. And I was like, yes, that is that is exact point of view that we're formulating through these discussions and the future of people initiatives is that if it's going to live on the sidelines, you know, nice to have it's it's over there, right? Let us, let us do our work. Let us deliver here. You go, you go play with all these other things on the side. You're taking it straight into lines of business. Um, so then, so then that leads us to the question of who are the enablers to be able to support the COO or other lines of business um, in order for them to be able to do this work? So I think there's multiple levels. So I think about some of the roles I've had on people analytics teams. So my team would be part of the enabler in terms of um, providing data and insights in a business, right? So a, a leader's out in a business, they, they don't just you know open up a spreadsheet and there's their turnover. Somebody has to enable that. Somebody has to build the dashboards, whatever it might be, whatever that mechanism is. 
Somebody has to build the mechanism for enabling self-service and on-demand access to this type of information, segmented by business, team, et cetera, whatever makes sense. So I think part of the enablers are really around the, the people team or wherever that might sit in terms of providing access to data so leaders can track the numbers to, to even know what are the changes? Where's my turnover? Is it good or bad? And this is actually another conversation we could probably talk about this. Is it good or bad? That's a totally different conversation. Is oh. it voluntary turnover? Is it involuntary turnover? What's the difference between those? What are the gaps? High performers, not high performers. Regrettable turnover, not regrettable turnover. And then when you say high performers, you start to think about, you know, a lot of companies who are doing talent reviews, the the traditional kind of nine box, the high potential, high performer. Yep. Does it matter as much? This is more of a philosophical question. Does it matter as much if people who are kind of middle to average performers, but aren't necessarily going to be the next business or unit leaders? Does it matter as much if they're leaving? Mm. The answer mm. is it probably depends on the business, right? So think sure. about retail. Retail has a really high turnover typically. I think uh, those types of organizations are much more prepared to handle the typical associate turnover. But when yep. you take it up a level to the general manager of a store, those positions are a lot more challenging to fill, right? So that may, might be a little um, different of a conversation because the general manager, probably the mindset is, okay, well, are they maybe ready to be a regional manager? The people who are kind of in that succession plan, you actually don't want them to leave, right? The person who comes into the store and is highly disengaged and probably creates a disengaging environment for the uh, customers who come in, you might actually want to think about how do we actively turn some of those people over. Accelerate their their, their transition. Absolutely. So it's not just, you know, one single unit of measurement turnover. There's multiple ways to slice it and dice it. And you also have to think about seasonality. Retail, let's pick on retail again. Clearly, there's seasonality in terms of when you're hiring people, when, when are people more likely to leave? I've worked in multiple organizations, corporations, different industries where people are more likely to leave after the yearly bonus payout, after your, your stocks vest, etc. So we, we came to expect certain bumps. So how do we be proactive knowing that those bumps might be coming, like you mentioned, with our critical talent or top performers? What do we do differently to really focus on um, identifying critical talent, potential leaders of the company at the next level and taking actions to make sure they stay engaged, right? And so that is where some of this enablement piece comes in is I think the people team and lots of different owners within the people team, depending on the the operating model, the people team I think is really responsible for helping to identify what are some of those patterns? What are some of the, the, the blips Mm -hmm. that we need to be aware of and where do our, where does our talent fit in terms of any talent assessment? Right. Totally. Um, one way, one, one way, way I've heard it talk about is you know identify the opportunities in the data, but 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 that's one off the enablers. Let's talk about some other enablers. Um, you know, I'm going to give you some guesses, and I'd love for you to react to them. I think it's table stakes to have a CTO or a technology function represented because even when we talk about data, what kind of data? You may have one, two, three sources of data, but there may be five through 20 sources of data that will be a bigger lift. But now that it's business outcomes oriented conversation that will be activated by the operational leadership, it's worth the lift because the insights are going to be insane. And I I think what you you bring up there, and I, I fully agree that the CTO is the importance of the partnership and integration of leaders across different businesses to enable this, right? It's not any one single leader. It's the partnership between, let's say, the people analytics team and the technology team. 
uh, whoever might own that, to ensure that you have the mechanisms, again, and the technology in place where you can track this. Um, a lot of companies use uh, ONA, Organizational Network Analysis, which yep. is looking at calendaring data, interactive totally. activities on chats, right? You absolutely need a, a strong partnership with a technology team to really enable that and get that up and running. So I think these uh, kind of integration points across the businesses uh, are key enablers. And there's there's so many different combinations of those that might be important, right? And so even within the people team, um, your learning and development group has a has a key stake in retention of high talent. Are you giving them the op- uh, development opportunities, right? Is somebody super, super talented, super high potential, and they don't see a future there because they're not learning or growing, right? Why aren't we oh. giving them the opportunities? The total rewards team, are we offering competitive benefits and pay and compensation? And maybe we don't have the highest compensation, but what are the other value add benefits? Uh, unlimited PTO, I- I've worked for a few companies now where PTO is unlimited. That's a game changer for some people, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of those people that has a problem taking it, by the way, either. Hence my, my two weeks PTO at the end of January here, right? So there's all these different factors. And I think like a really important one too is even the CEO or the president of the company, you know, how do they talk about the importance of these things? If these are conversations that are happening at that level, it trickles down. And so I think when you're when you're even lacking having that commentary at that level, that could be a, what's the opposite of enabler? A disabler, sure. right? Because yeah. if, if yeah, people resi- don't see, resistor. yeah, if people don't see the like importance of it at the top level, it's going to be really hard to have that kind of trickle down effect and have everybody else rally around the importance of this type of thing. Totally. So, so here's what we've got at the table so far. We've got the folks that are in the people analytics space. We've got the total rewards. And let's even say we've got the CHRO and the entire, you know, most important pillars represented in some shape or one person, multiple people. We've got the technology, CTO, CIO. Maybe you mentioned the CEO, president, potentially. There's another function that we've been that recently has been added and is uh, just uh, for me fun to hear. I, I I know I shared with you that I founded an agency in Chicago about 11 years ago, digital marketing agency, and then my work really shifted inside organization with when I co-founded ProHabits uh, to to deliver nudges, but marketing in this context has been added when we talk about consumerizing the employee experience because literally we ask who in the organization knows the most about consumerization of an experience. And you go, wait, if not everyone has a marketing team or an event, there are certain industries where marketing is not a, a, a major function. But how do you think about having the marketing, whether it's a CMO or some other function represented? Yeah, so I, I think it's also really important. And I think this is part of the mindset shift that we've been talking about, because I don't think it's something people typically think of it when they're thinking, you know, how do we really get a handle on the measurement um, of retention and figuring out where it's important, where it's not important, where to focus? People aren't thinking, oh, I better bring in my marketing team, right? That's, I think it's kind of skipped over. But when you think about marketing and you take a step back, we're talking about employer brand. So I think we talked about this in one of our previous conversations. When I think about what does talent mean, it is the first point of contact a potential candidate has with a website, marketing team, right? All that can permeate the experience they have all the way through to the point where they're an alumni, right? So the concept of employer brand, how are you presenting yourself? How are you marketing, literally, 
the, the company and the value and the benefits and all of that, I think that underlies the entire talent life cycle. So I think there's there's untapped opportunities there, but I absolutely think it's a it's a critical element. And I think organizations need to start thinking very differently when we're thinking about our talent from from talent acquisition to retention to exits, right? I, I like to think about every person who used to work in this company is a, a, still a potential employee, is a potential customer if you're in a retail organization, right? So how do we make sure that they're having such a great experience even when they do leave, that they're still really identifying with the brand of the company? Love that. So we brought them in. Uh, I think it's an Ocean's Eleven. There's a scene. Do we need one more? We need one more. Let's get one more. So we just got one more. There it is. We've got the full team. And 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 you know there are probably endless conversation we could have about the different variations of titles. Is there if there's a chief talent officer? I just interviewed one. Yes, absolutely. Is there a chief uh, uh, employee experience? Or maybe it's in the healthcare industry, chief medical officer who is not their. C- that's their form of operations. Um, so absolutely, we're not dismissing, but. Um, Moving on, so they are in the room together and they've got a big whiteboard. I'm a big fan of whiteboards. And they just wrote the, the words retention, right? They wrote the w- words retention. So retention is a business outcome on one side. And all the way on the other side, we're saying consumerization of the employee experience, right? We got a, how do we think about consumerization? Reorientation, it's all about them. It's, Amazon talks about customer obsession, you push a button, everything happens. You want to return something? I don't even know how they do it. You push a button and it's done. Like I don't. I just have to, you know, do the thing, go inside, and, and it's done. Show them the phone. Unbelievable. So do we? How how do we become obsessed about the user in this case of the being the employee? What where do we begin? And you and I talked about systems, platforms. We think an entire ecosystem is about to be born, but in broader strokes, I think about step one. Your analytics, it's about the data we receive. You mentioned uh, O&A, right? Is it about getting more data so that the insights could be considerably deeper? But I'd love for you, you know, they've got the word retention on the wall. What are the next words they start to write down? Um, well, I, I'm even going to take a step back for a second because I, I think we're making an assumption and we can, we can have that assumption as table six that everybody's fully committed to this, right? So before I even get the people in the room, I, I'm hoping the conversation has had that everybody's committed to putting time, value, and investment in this. Um, so Roxanne, <laughs> my whole life people just tell me I jump over things. That was You nailed it. That's a huge assumption that I just, that I just made, but th- there's no point in having the session if there isn't the alignment about the tension between outcomes and the consumer experience, consumerization of the employee experience. You're 100% right. I was, oh my goodness, when was it? A year, year and a half ago, the, the great resignation mm-hmm. took the world by storm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I ruffled some feathers. I called it fake news once and some people disagreed with me. But then Harvard Business Review came out with an article that basically said, retention patterns in the United States have actually been following the exact expected pattern. And there was a blip in uh, 2020 or 2021 with the pandemic. And then turnover seemed to artificially rise. But if you look at the graph, it was going in the exact same direction that you would have expected anyway. I'll dig it up and I'll send it off to you. Um, so, but I think that's, that's part of the, it's still in leaders' minds. Microsoft, was it Microsoft came up with a, a study or something? I read about it in Quartz, said something like maybe we can expect up to 40% turnover. So I think just some of the, the conversation and the narrative that was happening kind of in the social world 
really started to get people to think differently about that. So I think for our example, our use case, that actually works in our favor. Because I think you say the great resignation, quiet quitting, you know, whatever, we're quiet hiring, whatever we're calling it now. I think those actually have helped us and enabled us to get these people in the room to to start to think about it, right? And start to think about why it's important. So I think that's working in our favor. Um, I think the second thing is you really have to have leaders who understand the importance of the employee experience and all of this because some leaders don't right and I, I like to think the have an assumption that kind of business unit leaders understand that the quality of experience that your employees have actually directly impacts the quality of the work that they produce the quality of the experience that your customers have etc not everybody sees that so so I propose we make an assumption that everybody is kind of on board with all of that because that's a whole you know totally Totally agreed. How about we make the assumption that everyone in the room is going to answer the question, the following question with a yes, unanimously. The question is, do you care about your employees as much as you care about your customers? They just answered yes, and we go, okay. If someone answers no, we say either meeting is over or the person who said no, open up the computer, get to work, because the rest of it is not going to be beneficial for you. Love it. Um, okay, so we're all on the same page, except that one person, but we kicked them out. Um, we have the word retention on the board. So I think you, you were starting to talk about data kind of as another first step. So absolutely. So I think there needs to be some sort of presentation of, of data, historical data, trending data, segmented data to really look and see, well, what are the patterns that we're looking at? And you also have to kind of maybe finance should be in the room too. Workforce oh. planning, right? Is like, let's say we have 15% turnover. Again, is that good or bad? We don't know. What are our growth plans? Do we need to grow the business? Do we know that maybe we have an underperformance issue? So we need to start managing people out. And that means we need to maybe backfill even higher, or it means we need to focus more on retention of high, high potential and critical talent. So I think you need to have a lot of that data with you ahead of time. What's the workforce plan? Uh, what Again, we talked about voluntary, involuntary, regrettable, non-regrettable, kind of what are some of the expectations and patterns that we've we've seen historically can we kind of use those to guesstimate what's going to happen in the future to help come with our, up with our kind of plan of where we need to focus? What other data points do we need? So there's survey data, intention to stay. Most experience or engagement surveys, one of the typical items is that I intend to stay um, with probe habits for the next 12 months or something like that, right? The best right. predictor of future behavior is past behavior. There's a, there's a theory called the theory of planned behavior I learned about in grad school. The best uh, predictor of an actual behavior is the intention to engage in that behavior. So very likely most companies have some of that data available already. So it's not only looking at kind of patterns in turnover and segmenting that in different ways, but it's also looking at what does it look like in terms of employees saying they're likely to leave? You know, how many people uh, in our our key business unit, let's say it's software engineers, how many people in the software engineering team are reporting that they're they're, they're disagreeing with, I intend to stay with a company, right? Okay, well, that's like another issue. So maybe we need to focus really on that group. How many um, people who are diverse talent, right? That's a hot topic. That's a whole other webinar or podcast we could talk about is retention of critical diverse talent, right? I, I find it hard to believe any, well, I hope any leader is going to say, well, that's not important to me, right? But sometimes you actually have to show the data and show things like the intention to leave, the differential experience of inclusion and diversity at a company to get leaders to think very differently about how important that kind of talent piece is, right? So, so we got to get all this data together, 
probably go back and gather some more data and bring it because once you start to share data, people will just have more questions, which is a good thing. It creates more work, but it's often a good thing when you get the wheels turning. So, so we're here, we, we've got all this data together, we've dug into everything we can. Maybe we've even come up with a plan to say, and here's what we wanna measure next. So step two after this conversation is, okay, what are the next things that we actually want to start to measure to help enable um, this turnover conversation that we're having? Totally with you. I was just really just taking in the intention is the best predictor of, of action. I was just taking that in for a second. I was, it got me thinking we've, you know, with nudges, we, we've delivered millions of nudges. And uh, one of our nudges, uh, you know, do you commit to doing something? And if people commit it, do you want to take a guess how, what percentage finish the action if they commit it? 70%. Yeah, so, so you're so right. That, that's spot on. Uh, okay, so step one, data coming in. Right, we, and we can expand the data that's coming in because, hey, we've got the CTO, and by the way, we paused the meeting, we got the CFO to come in. So we got the CFO, and we're like, yo, CFO, there's the CTO, hey, we need more data. What kind of data do we need? Let's be marketers. You ask a marketer today, what do you do with data-driven? It's all about data. It's all about understanding. Data really isn't, it's not about data. It's about understanding the human experience. Customer, employee, doesn't matter. The only way you understand the human experience is through the data. So you can meet them where they are, the right message, right time, all that. The second is you nailed it insights and analytics that are now converging past trends, looking at future, thinking about gaps, skill gaps, retention, normal, not all of these aspects. The next step that I think we ought to be thinking, and that's a super bias now, is actionability. Because actionability is now at scale creating change. What do, have I seen not work uh, or not be sustainable? Meetings, moments, there are, moments are amazing, whether it's Simon Sinek, Marshall Goldsmith, whether it's your own CEO that's coming in that is really inspiring. And for half hour, you can't sit in your chair. You're like, oh my goodness, my life has changed until the phone goes on at the end of the meeting. And then next morning, what meeting? What do we, there was something we talked about that I liked, right? So how, in my view, we need to start thinking about how do we bite-size? How do we make our messages relevant? How do we find them where they're doing their work, whether it's Microsoft Teams or Slack? So Roxanne, uh, take me into actionability, perfect world. What, what are you seeing in it? Yeah, so, so I want to have a conversation around how do we determine what the actions are? I think that's part of what you're getting at. And this is... I forget what it's called. This is the old school. It's a chart you've seen where one dimension is like easy to do, hard to do. And the other dimension is like we can do it right now versus it's going to take a long time to do. Right. So it's like the difficulty, like availability. So I think it's really around the, the kind of standard, like the brainstorm of what, like what are some of the actions we're currently taking? Are they working? Yes or no. And then we put them in this little chart. The, the things are it's impact and, um, difficulty that's what it is high impact low impact easy to do hard to do okay the the easy to do things high impact and low impact hopefully we're already doing some of those but let's get those ones out of the way immediately and so maybe an easy impact thing is like do a survey to assess intentions to leave and perceptions of the employee experience that's a pretty easy one to do and could potentially have a really high value impact depending on what you see and how you frame it but the harder things to do right is like create a development, a high performance leadership program for critical and top talent, right? Because that involves a lot of time and money, et cetera. 
but you put everything in this chart, everything that you've come up with to kind of help you prioritize and pace and sequence what is the order with which we need to do things? And you can even lay on top of that. So now we have a three-dimensional chart. It's getting more complicated, um, but really in terms of like, what is more critical that we do? So let's say that you have a, a challenge with females in leadership positions at level X and above are exiting at two times the rate of other people. Made that totally up. Okay, what are we gonna do immediately to start to kind of deep dive into that critical talent segment, which is female leaders, um, and how are we going to retain them differently? So like that might be one where it maybe is harder to do, but you're going to prioritize it more quickly because it's actually more important to you or any kind of talent group that you might think about, right? So I think you kind of have this three-dimensional chart that you're looking at. It's easy to do. It's hard to do. High value impact, low value impact. And then you're like, okay, what is the, what is the critical nature of whether or not we do this, right? Uh, and so I think you kind of come up with that model to help you kind of create the, the quick wins, the low-hanging fruit, to use that silly phrase, mm -hmm. right? Versus the the really important, but it's going to take a little bit longer. And then you're going to have to leave this room and go and kind of rally up people in the organization to form different project teams and connect, but really make it happen. So I think there's kind of like a, a multiple step approach, but that's going to be a really important part in terms of prioritizing what we do next. Mm hmm I'm with you. I'm, th I'm with you. I'm, I'm imagining myself in that room. I'm ima imagining going through the exercise. And throughout the exercise, you keep looking at the first word on the board, retention, retention. Ret which, ones, which ones here could have the biggest impact on retention? Um, you know, one thing I was uh, meant to, to just take a quick pause here on, the, on the, your Best Buy experience. There's something you said that has resonated, I think, two months ago, first met. And since then, you talked about the kind of when, when two uh, journeys come together, the customer and the employee, into a single moment. And you described it really well, like at a, at a Best Buy where you see, hey, a customer is walking in, there's an interaction with a, a representative of the Best Buy, and they have come together into a perfect moment. And in that moment, you know, is where you see if the journeys that you've architected as the brand are on point on all sides. And it's not going to work every time, but this is, this is where it matters most because that's the experience. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think if I recall correctly, so when I worked at Best Buy and I was responsible for employee experience measurement, but I worked really closely with the customer experience team, which was amazing because I, number one, I learned a ton and it gave me a completely different mindset and how to think about this. And this is why I, I use retail organizations a lot because you have that, that beautiful, perfect um, marriage of the employee and the customer where you can actually prove through linkage analysis that the employee impacts the customer experience. But but I used to go into um, stores and districts and meet with managers and I, I would share this story and say, you know, I come into a Best Buy and I have really good experience and I, you know, have a great salesperson. I, I buy my thing and I leave and like, that's great. But if I come in and I have a terrible experience, everybody I know is going to hear about it. Um, it's going to go on Twitter. I'm going to shoot that out on Facebook or whatever it might be. I'm going to call my mom and complain. I'm going to tell my friends not to go there anymore. So that uh, critical moment, right, is so critical. And part of the outcome of that, not only we have the data, and I'm sure a lot of retail organizations have this, where you can prove the impact of the employee on the customer. But we also said to like store managers, take a real serious and hard look at your employees. And let's think about who is really highly engaged 
and who is just obviously really disengaged. And let's just have a conversation with them. Like, what's going on? You know, do you need to manage these people out? Is there something so small that's missing? Is the manager the problem, right? Because I think that's a big part. You know, we were talking about getting all our data together earlier, and I talked a lot about segmenting. It can often be a problem manager, right? And there's a pretty big disconnect I found between how a, a senior leader might think of a, a manager and how the employees might think of a manager, mm. right? Because there's, there's a couple ways you can get things done. You can get things done by engaging and motivating and encouraging people to go out there and get their work done. Or you can say, go get your work done. And if you don't do it, I'm going to fire you or you're not going to get a break or you're not going to get bonuses, right? It's like, which one is more likely to, to yield long-term success? And I think we know the answer to that. So that, that the concept of the importance of the manager um, I don't want to forget about that and, and not bring that up because I think it's critically important, not only in retail organization, but any organization. Yeah, so, may, so let's go back to the board, right? One of the folks just got up and it probably is the analytics leader and, and put the word manager on the board, even though not a, I'm not a big fan of the word manager, leader, however they refer to the people leaders in their organization. And we have had Gallup on and it's, I think their book or their title or their tagline, something, it, you know, it's all about the manager, stupid. It's like, yes, it's all about the 70% plus of the employee experience is about the manager. Um, okay. So the, the reason I brought up Best Buy and, and convergence of those two experiences is because as we're in that room thinking about the squadron of all the possible activities that we could create, I think the lens that we need to ensure we have is what's the impact, perhaps not just on retention? Do we go back to the board and say net promoter scores or straight up let's talk revenue and let's put that right next to it? Yeah. Is, um, go ahead. I was going to say they're all related. You can't, they're not unique, right? There's one big Venn diagram and they're all related. The extent to which they're related um, varies by organization, right? And the extent to which they're related is also going to be moderated by how engaged employees feel, right? So we talk about NPS. Um, obviously, that's like a proxy for engagement score, right? Same difference, basically. It's really around, you know, the it's a, it's a leading indicator of whether or not an employee will stay, right? And sometimes there's just one thing that's, that's keeping them there. And that could be the manager. It could be something else, right? Um, so I think they're all intertwined and they're all predictive. And there's tons of studies. And it's funny you mentioned Gallup because we worked with Gallup at Best Buy for years and mm -hmm. did some really cool studies. And Gallup in, oh my goodness, 2002 published in Journal of Applied Psychology, I think it was, uh, the biggest meta-analysis looking at employee satisfaction, employee engagement linked to business outcomes. And, you know, Best Buy was part of that data, right? And I think it's still one of the, the biggest studies out there that proves the link. And I, if I get the number right, it might not, might not quite be right, but it was something like, like a one-point increase in an engagement score was like an extra $20,000 in revenue per month or something like that. But that's kind of the general gist of it. So, so something we missed in some of the, the data gathering also, which is actually important, is like, what does the research say? Um, and I just, I just did a, a little mini spiel for a people analytics platform company and just got posted on LinkedIn. And I talked about the importance of thinking about the research, right? We don't have to go into any of these conversations blind. And a really good analytics team or marketing team or whatever team is going to come with their receipts, right? So I mentioned the theory of planned behavior. Intention to perform a behavior is one of the biggest predictors of whether or not somebody will um, engage in a behavior. So those are really big things that have been researched for decades, right? And there's lots of new research out coming out all the time. So I think kind of coming in arms with some of that information to help maybe guide you a little bit is a really important piece as well. 
I totally agree. I mean, I'm looking at time with, with like, oh, no, has it really been, you know, almost 45 minutes? And when you said in the beginning, you go, time flies. When you and I just start, we, we could do this for hours. And maybe one day we should. We should just go on for a couple hours and do a lo- long form. Oh, my goodness. We, we could really get creative then. Um, so what, what I'm thinking is let's help them wrap up the conversation. So what did they do? They wrote down retention. They wrote down managers. They, they had a squadron where they mapped out the possible initiatives. They even considered other business uh, outcomes that are going to be influenced by retention. Um, and they... Uh, really talked about additional data they're going to pour in the insights they looked at past and future they may have even discussed the possibility of making it actionable i have to do my plug it's about reminders and nudges like i keep hearing over and over from people like hey i and the intentions are right but remind me help me stay 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 in front of me uh, but let's help them end the meeting let's think about what advice could we give them um how do they you know so i think it's the we said the the COO or the leaders of the LBLs that are going to be in charge of the launches with enablers that are in the group. What, what takeaway, what advice would you give them to give them the best chance of success? Yeah. So something you mentioned at the outset of our conversation is you have a meeting, you put it in the desk drawer and you walk out because there's no accountability. So even though Everybody in that room has a role. I think there does have to be a holder of the accountability and agreement and commitment in that room to accountability. So I actually think before even leaving that room, the next series of meetings are set of check-ins are set up, right? Um, for the next X amount of time. I think based on the chart, the immediate next steps have already been assigned. Those like lower high impact things that aren't challenging to do, those have already been assigned. And at the next meeting, we have a check-in on progress, right? So I think kind of putting pen to paper to actually starting to create that accountability is going to be one of the real key pieces and saying, here's what the expectations are in the next meeting. So I think that's, that's a, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Again, people are busy. You leave that room, you're off to the next meeting, completely different topic. Retention might be the last thing on your mind, right? So it's like, okay, how do we actually make sure that we're committing to this? And I think part of that conversation hopefully has happened beforehand, but I think you actually have to make that a real commitment to accountability in that room before people even leave. And there has to be that holder of that space. And I'm not sure who that person could be. It could be multiple people, um, but somebody kind of has to have that responsibility. So maybe you've got, you've got a project manager in there or whoever it might be to really kind of be the, the gatekeeper and holder, even though they might not own anything necessarily, but somebody should just make sure that you're, you're staying on track and you're having your check-ins, et cetera. I, I think it should be the, the internal uh, champion of change. It's the audience that's listening in because they're all over the freaking, all over the board in the functions. They're in L&D, change management, they're in employee experience, HR, just spoke to a technology leader. Actually, I'm blown away by some of the CTOs I'm talking to where I would expect it to be a lot of pushback on certain things and they're welcoming it because they're experiencing the impact of retention, Right. I mean, they, they, whenever, if, it's not, if, you, if it's not in front of you, right, it's not the same. When you talk to them about sales, of course they want to support it, but they'll feel it differently. Retention, wow, we can't deliver. We can't deliver what we have. So I, I think we're okay to unlock the door. I think that now we've got the ch- change agent that's there who is talking about here's what's next. We've got an action plan. We've got a roadmap. We've got the commitment from everyone. We're going to solve retention while looking at the impact across the other um, KPIs in the business. 
and the perfect storm has begun. There we go. Well, listen, I again could cont- I, I hate to hang up, but um, I think we're at time, Roxanne. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it. I hope you come back again and we keep chiseling at this future of people in the shoot of yep. together. I would love to. Thank you so much. Absolutely my pleasure. All right, over and out. Mm-hmm.